Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I'm co-founder of Financing Solutions. Financing Solutions provides easy-to-set-up lines of credit for small businesses, and I will be your host for today. If you're interested in learning more about our line of credit programs for business, please visit us at fscreditline.com. Again, that's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, including two companies on the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. I love learning from people with business experience, and today I am very excited to be speaking with Doug Knoll. Douglas Knoll, JDMA, left a successful career as a trial lawyer to become a peacemaker. His calling is to serve humanity, and he executes his calling at many levels. He is an award-winning author, teacher, trainer, and a highly experienced mediator. Doug's work carries him from international work to helping people resolve deep interpersonal and ideological conflicts to training life inmates to be peacemakers and mediators in maximum security prisons. Doug, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Thanks for having me, Stephen. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me, t- me too. You know, whenever I, you know, I, I do a lot of podcasts. It's my f- almost my fifth year, and um, and you know, when sometimes you know we line them up, and so I, so, you know, it, it's not till the day of the podcast that I get to look at what the the topic is going to be. And when I saw this topic, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a really good one because I, I, I believe in what we're going to be talking about. So today's topic is emotional competency as a business owner. And the reason why it resonates with me is because it was the hardest thing for me to deal when I started my first business. Um, I started young and I think, you know, that causes some issues in itself. So, uh, so you know, tell me a little bit about why emotional competency is so hard for business owners. Wow. <laughs> okay. It starts with a big lie that's been around for 4,000 years. And we've been lied to by theologians and philosophers going back way before the Greeks that what makes us human is rationality. And it turns out that that is absolutely false. Uh, neuroscientists have now taught, are teaching us and have discovered that what makes us human is our emotions. And in fact, we can't even be rational unless we're emotional first. And what's really interesting, as a side note, is I teach decision-making at, at uh, the Crusoe School of Law at Pepperdine University. And so we dive deep into the idea of rationality. And there is no, there is no definition of rationality. Um, you can't find a universal definition of what that means. So it's all a big myth. But the problem is, because we're so invested in this myth, we think that emotions are bad, or they're evil, or they're weak, or they're irrational. And in our families of origin, because our parents were emotionally incompetent, they trained us to be emotionally incompetent. I'll just give you an example. Remember when you were two years old, and you were running around, and you fell down, and you skinned your knee, and you started to cry? What were you told? Everything will be all right. Yeah, everything will be all right. Stop crying. Be a big boy. Big boys don't cry. 
put on your big boy pants. You know, real men don't cry. We are told not to be emotional because our parents think that thought that they were toughening us up. But what they were really doing, and they did it unknowingly, no matter how loving they were, is they were destroying our brains. Because the research shows that from 18 months until eight years old, you have to go through an emotional developmental process. And you have to learn, we actually, we, we're not born with emotions, we create emotions. And we have to learn how to create these emotions during, during our young years. And our, if our parents are putting us down and telling us not to be emotional, that all breaks down. And most people, well, I won't say most, I'll say many people stop their emotional maturity at about six years because they're emotionally unsafe. So what happens is we grow into a, adult bodies and we can, can kind of function okay until things get intense. And then we revert back to where we, our emotional maturity development stopped, which is six years old. So that's a long-winded way of saying the reason that business owners find it so difficult to deal with emotional incompetency is because, number one, they've never had proper training in it. And two, we live in a culture that says emotions are bad and rationality is good. And that goes completely against our human nature. Yeah. And I, I mean, looking back, I, you know, the, the, key, the word that is known is EQ, right? Emotional intelligence based on the book, uh, you know, and so I'll be using the word EQ quite a bit. Um, I knew that uh, my EQ was not good in my 20s. And so I was working for a big company, Xerox, at the time. And I knew from a very young age, one, at 17, I wanted to start my own company. But even when I was in my 20s, I, I loved what I did for a living. I loved Xerox. It was a great company. But I knew that eventually my lack of good EQ would catch up to me. And so, you know, that then affected me in how I was managing people. And it really hurt. And I had to get good at it, much better at it. It's still not my best skill set. But I think a lot of business owners that I know all say the same thing, that their, their EQ is sometimes lacking in their business for them. And I wonder if is there's a correlation between a low EQ, so to speak, but a high propensity for coming up with business ideas, entrepreneurial ideas. I wonder, I wonder if those two things diverge. And that's what causes a, biz, a good business owner because of those two differences. I, I think there's a direct relationship between high EQ and high creativity. Oh. I think it's just the opposite. Okay, fair enough. And the, reason, the reason is because when you, when you think about creativity and you think about imagination, all of that is based in emotion. None of it's, none of it's logical. <laughs> it's not subject to rational, what we would call rational reasoning or critical thinking or anything like that. We use our creativity to come up with ideas. And then we use our system two decision-making systems in our brain, our critical thinking skills, to take those ideas and form them into an actionable strategic plan with a tactical time and action plan that we can actually execute. But the creativity itself is emotional. And everything else that follows it is is more is more is more the analytical stuff we do so we, if we don't have that creativity we're not going to come up with imagination and since creativity is emotional the more mastery we have over our emotions the and this, i don't mean by mastery suppression or denial i mean actually embracing our emotional beings 98 percent of who we are the more powerful we are as business people you and know the 
Well, I believe, I believe what you're saying. I mean, in one way, I, and I, but I would have two comments. And that's the first thing is, forget the business owner for a second. Whenever I meet somebody who's in the creative field, an artist, a designer, uh, you know, my neighbor is a, is a uh, clothing designer. She's extremely creative, right? She has no emotional intelligence. Right. Of course. Right? She's not. <laughs> okay. Right. And so, you know, the thing I was going to say, though, was I think what I, you know, as you, as we mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, uh, you know, the, the announcer said that the objective of this podcast is to help business owners get over $10 million in revenue. What I, what I have noticed is when I meet business owners, and I've been lucky enough to know a lot of them, uh, you can't get over a certain threshold. Let's say it's $10 million, depends on the industry. Um, unless you've in a high percentage of the time have tackled that devil in you of emotional intelligence. Uh, you know, I think we all know the certain movies out there like Steve Jobs and, and Zuckerberg about, you know, crazy people, uh, that are just, their EQs are not there, but, uh, but I think that's an aberration. I mean, would you you, would you agree that? Absolutely. Yeah. So I, you know, the point I'm trying to make is tackling this issue with, with having, knowing your EQ and knowing how to deal with your emotions is a very big part of success. I agree. And, and every, every, there's been a ton of studies out there that are looking at this, at EQ or things around EQ, such as psychological safety. That are that showing that this is the most important skill a business owner or leader can develop. And the good news is that it's very easy to develop, and you can develop it very, very quickly. We've got the uh, there's there's no psychological BS here. It's all based on neuroscience, and it, once you learn a certain set of skills, everything else falls into place. And it usually takes it takes my clients usually four to eight weeks to develop to, to move from wherever they are to a very high level. Of emotional competency. And I like to use the word emotional competency rather than mm. emotional intelligence because emotional intelligence is a measure. And it was developed by uh, Mayer and Salovey back in the early 1990s. Goldman stole their ideas, published his book. He's made a small fortune around that. Uh, hundreds of companies all <laughs> promote emotional intelligence. Most of it's garbage. Uh, and but what emotional intelligence measures are three emotional competencies, emotional self-awareness, emotional self-regulation, and cognitive and affective empathy. And the, what I've discovered is that when you learn how to do cognitive and affective empathy, you automatically develop emotional self-awareness and emotional self-regulation. Wow. So it's not the booger that everybody makes it out to be. It, it, the problem is that the people who are promoting emotional intelligence as trainers and teachers don't know what, generally don't know what they're talking about because they haven't studied the neuroscience. And, and you're not going to find professors in business school in MBA programs teaching this stuff because they can't get published on it. They're only gonna, the, the people in, in, in graduate schools only teach what they, can, what they publish. And in, in academia, where I have one foot in academia, so I know this very well, is that you, you, you're, when you have a PhD in anything, you've got, you're, in, you're in a very tight lane with very big guardrails. And if you jump out of that guardrail to go multidisciplinary, you're immediately shot down as somebody who's completely incompetent. 
So, so and and the problem is that the work that um, the work the work that this all involves is multidisciplinary, and so you will not find this kind of formal training in graduate school. You won't find it in kindergarten either, for that matter. <laughs> is, is, is there an opportunity for a book called Emotional Competency? Well, there is, but I mean, really, my fourth book goes through all of this. My fourth book really. It's called, it's called Deescalate, How to Calm an Angry Person in 90 Seconds or Less. And I go through all of this. And the reason that it's called Deescalate, it, just very, very briefly, uh, the Prison of Peace Project, which you alluded to, where my colleague and I, Laura Coffer and I, uh, founded 13 years ago, we, we work in maximum security prisons, training life inmates how to be peacemakers and mediators. And they asked me to write, the, my students asked me to write a book so they could share it with their families. And that's how the book came about. But I talk about these emotional competencies and how to use them and how to develop them in the book. And it's just not that difficult. And that part of the reason that I'm going out in the world is to tell people, look, this is a fundamental school. It's a foundational skill of life. It's easy to master. It's like riding a bike. You just got to learn the skills and then practice them. And, and your life will change and transform amazingly quickly. So let's. You mentioned the the idea that you coach people. I'm assuming that they, when they come to you, they're they have been told or they recognize that they have a problem with emotional competency. Is that accurate? It could be that, or it could be, for example, a client. A, 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 let's take a financial advisor, a, a registered investment advisor, for example. I mean, I'm, I have a, a number of these people who don't know how to listen. And, and and they don't know how to they don't know how to really listen to their clients, lawyers, other uh, and business people that don't know how to listen to their customers or their vendors. And so and part of listening listening is part of, uh, is fundamentally part of being emotionally intelligent, or having an emotional competency. So they come to me to learn these foundational skills, and then we take them from where they are and move them to a much higher level. And and it can be listening, it can be decision making, it can be um, Developing empathy, like I said, cognitive. There are two kinds of empathy: cognitive and affective empathy. Both of which you learn. They, you have to be taught how to do that. It's not innate. And you know, so people come from all over the place to learn these skills. You can learn it. You can learn it from re- reading books. Um, but like most other important life skills, it helps to have a mentor and a coach. Not essential, but it helps, especially if you want to master it quickly. So take me through a scenario, a client calls you and, uh, you know, you're starting the, the four or five sessions and, you know, it, it's interesting to hear you say, cause I would have thought the first part of the process, which you, you said, isn't the most important is awareness, you know, that you, you have to, this is where- you're, 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 <laughs> so you're jumping right to the third part, which yeah. is em- empathy. So Tell me uh, how you can teach somebody that third part of the process. Great question. And this is really counterintuitive. I've thought for a long time that that the way, because I was reading all these emotional intelligence books, and I thought for a long time that what you said was right, that you have to learn emotional self-awareness first. And it turns out that's the hardest thing to, you can't, it's really hard to learn how to be emotionally self-aware. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really easy to learn empathy through a process that is called affect labeling. So what I do is I teach people how to listen to and read the emotions of another person and then reflect back those emotions with a use statement. That's the first step. 
With a, a no, U statement? Mm-hmm, that's right, a U statement. So I would say, uh, uh, so supposing, Stephen, you're really angry. You're upset at something. I would say, Stephen, you're really pissed off, man. You're really angry and frustrated. You feel completely disrespected. You feel unsupported and unappreciated. And you're frustrated. And you're sad. And you feel abandoned and betrayed. And the whole thing just really, really is upsetting. Now, what happens, what brain scanning brain scanning studies show is that when I... The wall goes down. Yeah, what happens is the emotional centers of your brain literally become inhibited as your ventral lateral prefrontal cortex comes back online. And literally within 90 seconds, you're back at equilibrium and you can think again. And what happens to me as the listener, when I'm reflecting your emotions back to you, I'm building up my own emotional database so that I can now become more aware of my emotions. So when I get upset, I can say to myself, Doug, hey, man, I am, I'm really pissed off. I'm really angry. I'm frustrated. Man, I just really got badly disrespected. And I feel humiliated and shamed. And I'm sad. And I tell myself what I'm feeling. It has the same effect with the brain. you know, And at the same time, I'm building my emotional awareness. And once I have emotional awareness, because it just grows automatically, I don't have to do anything other than label what I feel. Once that happens, then I'm able to start developing emotional regulation. And I take people through a process of learning about emotional triggers. What are the things that when just you fly off the handle, right? Something handles, we go into a deep dive into, okay, where did that programming come from? And then then what other choices do you want to make when that situation happens again? And again, it's just, it's common sense stuff, just doing it differently than the way everybody else does. The, how I developed this was when I left the practice of law to become a peacemaker, I went back to school, got my master's degree, and I didn't have any good tools. I had a wonderful academic training in peace and conflict studies, but no really good tools for dealing with intense conflict. And so I had to start developing these tools myself because I was getting paid big bucks to walk into these huge conflicts, and people expected me to calm the waters. And I had to come up with tools that worked first time. So I started developing and I experimented and practiced and studied the science behind it all and figured it all out. And then um, when the prison project started, Laurel and I decided the only tools we could teach are one, tools that are scientifically, we can scientifically show why it works the way that it does. And two, it works first time, every time without failure because maximum security prisons are pretty violent places. They're dark. And when we taught our students who are inmates in those prisons, we had to teach them skills that would not get them killed, right? So that's how we acid tested all this stuff. And that's what, that's what I teach today. Yeah, it's uh, fascinating because I think my, God, I wish I knew you 30 years ago. Um, the, uh, and I got better at it too, but, and I worked at it. But uh, it's interesting how you say, like, I would have, th- my first reaction would have been, and what it was over those 30 years was, oh, I have to learn how I'm thinking, how I'm, uh, uh, I'm reacting emotionally. But if, and, 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 the, and the honest with you is I, I have a lot of empathy for people. But if I had been better at labeling it uh, for what someone else was going through, uh, regardless if I had initiated that problem or if they were uh, angry to begin with or whatever it was, uh, I, it would have helped me stay calm. That's right. 
because it would have broke. It would have brought the. I always felt that my problem is uh, uh, more of a. Uh, uh, art, uh, and I'm using me as an example, not this, not Steve Elastic right. show, but uh, the uh, I would I always thought that my issue was a communication issue, like I didn't communicate what I was thinking or feeling properly, and therefore I pissed somebody off because I didn't properly communicate. Let let me that's a, that that's a very common misperception. It's not about communication; it's about listening. And what another problem, we, one of the problems we have in learning emotional competency is we never learn how to listen. And there are four levels of listening. And you have to learn these four levels. So we've already talked about the deepest level, ethic labeling, but there's also mirroring, which is where we, I repeat backward for what you're saying. Now, that is only used when we need to be clear about a process or a procedure. It's not to be used for anything else. Um, and most people get that all wrong. Then there's paraphrasing which most people learn how to summarize back the words another person has spoken. Then the third level is core messaging, where I am, we're searching for the meaning of what you're trying to convey as the speaker. And this is good for people who, you know, they just start talking and they, they don't know where they're going. So you, you core message them to help them find meaning. And then there's affect labeling, where you would completely ignore the words and just re, re, uh, listen to and reflect the emotions. Once you know how to listen, then communication becomes very easy because you're able to listen from the speaker's frame of reference. And once the speaker feels heard, the speaker is in a place to be able to listen to you. And where we get this screwed up is whenever we talk, you know, we were tra trained like children, is that most of the time, I'm not listening to you. I'm thinking about the next thing I'm going to say. And I'm paying very little attention to what you're saying. I'm just waiting for the pause to take my turn. And so that's where the breakdown is because I'm not listening to you. I'm only focused on what I want to say and, and you're doing the same thing. And so, so we're going nowhere in our, in our communication. So the, the, the good communication is really all about good listening. And once you learn how to listen and especially affect label, then all these other wonderful things start to happen to you as well. You start developing cognitive empathy and then that allows you to develop emotional awareness and emotional self-regulation. It all builds on itself. And, and, it, and it's, like I said, it's really not that difficult to master this stuff. Now, why is it so difficult to go the other way? To start with, I got to develop my emotional self-awareness. And you'll see all the self-help people and all these people out there talking about journaling and meditation and you know all that stuff. And I did all that. The problem is this. Many, many, many people are emotionally wounded. They, are, they have never experienced emotional safety because of their environment growing up. And so to, to be able to do the inner work, to go in and explore my emotional, all this emotional stuff I've got inside me is painful because I've got to bring up all these memories of shame and humiliation and anger and sadness and resentment that I still hold in me that is, is really difficult to process because it is, it, it's so painful. And people don't want to face that pain. It's, it's uncomfortable. Well, what I found is the solution is if I teach you how to be empathic, use cognitive empathy through affect labeling, you can slowly process through your own stuff automatically. And that you don't have to dive in and do deep therapy on yourself in order, in order, to, in order to gain the kind of emotional competency necessary to be effective. Are you, are you uh, is there, 
do you, when you're getting into your first session, <clears throat> at any time, do you try to understand why someone is the way they are? No. Yeah, I didn't think most so. Most of the yeah. time, most of the time, it's it's all, I mean, the thing that you learn in doing this work is that human beings are very, we're very predictable and we have a very small repertoire of behaviors. To the untrained eye, when you walk into conflict, for example, a conflict situation, it looks like total chaos and confusion. It's overwhelming and it's just, ugh. To me, as a professional, I look at it. I, I can within a minute. I can see exactly what's going on, and I know what the I know what's going to happen next, and I know what the intervention is because I've seen it so much and I've studied it. It is not chaotic. It is not overwhelming. It's not confusing. It's just normal emotional behavior. Once you get that, and that's what some that's what I teach my people, my students. Once you get that, then all of a sudden the world is a completely different place for yourself and for other people because there's no longer chaos and confusion. You just see somebody getting angry or acting out or behaving badly. So they're, they're having an emotional moment. And, now, and I'm comfortable with that. And I'm no longer anxious around it. I know exactly what to do. What about, so what, what about when it's not one person and you know, two people, all right? What about you have scenarios, this is a bigger question, uh, the Middle East, right? <laughs> Where, right. you know, you know, could do you, do you then go into that scenario saying, oh, I know exactly what it is? Well, I can, I can tell – yes, I can see exactly what it is. Can, you, don't need can, to tell me, you don't need to tell me what it is. I'm just saying right, – it, it, You can look at any conflict situation and do a, a pretty fast diagnosis and understand why the conflict is the way it is and why, for example, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict is, has been so intractable for so many decades. Mm -hmm. It's very clear. Uh, and, but that doesn't mean that the solution is easy or, or oh. not It all, it all it, it, whether you're dealing with a large group, uh, you know, such as, uh, or a, a national situation, such as the, as Israeli Palestinian problem or all the other hundreds of problems around the world or the polarization here in the United States, it all comes down to people. And, you know, you look at, there are things you look for, for example, leadership. And, you know, unfortunately, here in the United States, we have leaders who benefit from fear and tribalism. And so they prefer to lead people into darkness because that's where they get their money and their votes. When people ask me how I vote, I say, I don't care what political party you're in. I want you to lead me to the light, not to the darkness. Yeah. If you lead me to the light, I'll follow you. If you lead me to the darkness, I will not vote for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm big on that. I'm big on leadership, too, as well. That's interesting. I like the way you articulate it about not being... I kind of forgot that, that uh, I always look for good leaders. Um, so, so let's get into some practical stuff. And that is, um, so we have, uh, you know, thousands of listeners listening um, uh, uh, and they're business owners. And, um, and if you're listening to this, you're probably saying, oh, I got a little bit of an issue with uh, emotional competency. Uh, give me some practical advice other than, uh, of course, calling you and, bringing you on board as a coach. Yeah. Here's, the, here's, yeah. here's the basic skill set. Yep. It's really easy to state. And, and some people can get it right away and other people need practice. But let's suppose you're in a situation where you're confronting somebody who's upset. They could be upset at you or they could be upset at the situation or they could two people could be upset and you're just the business owner. You've got two employees who are angry with each other. But the first thing you have to do is recognize that they're emotional. And the only way you can't solve an emotional problem with logic, 
So you have to solve an emotional problem with emotional tools. So the basic emotional tool is a three-step process. It's very simple. Number one, ignore the words. For the next 90 seconds, you're going to ignore the words. You've heard it all before. Angry words are angry words. There's nothing new here. So you can afford to not listen to the words. It's white noise. Number two, you're just going to quiet your mind quiet, and just be, sit in silence for a moment and just observe. And what's going to happen in the background in your pre-conscious processing is your, our brains are hardwired to read the emotions of other people. And this goes all the way. This is all based on evolutionary biology. And, and we have this innate ability to read other people's emotions rapidly and accurately. It's not a skill that we use because, as I said earlier, we, emotions are horrible, bad, evil in our society. So we don't use this skill, but we got it, and it's innate. And as you sit there and allow your brain to process the emotions of another person, the emotions will start coming into your consciousness. And then you go to the third step, and you simply tell people what they feel, what they're experiencing. You're angry. You're frustrated. You're upset. Now, at a little more advanced level, part of the part of the difficulty here is learning how to structure the data. If if we don't have if we don't have a way to structure all of this, our brains don't make sense of it. So I structured the data by looking at emotions in six layers, and so you just, and the the basic layers are quickly um, we got anger, then we got dignitary emotions like disrespect and not being listened to. Then we have the fear emotions. We have shame, humiliation, grief, uh, and guilt, and then below that, sadness and grief, and then below that abandonment, not feeling loved and being unlovable. So what you do is you're watching, typically in, in a business situation, it'll be anger that presents first. You start with the anger, then you drop into the next layer and say, all right, what's next? Disrespect, not being heard, not being treated fairly, feeling unappreciated, that's obvious. Then the next layer is probably gonna be anxiety, worry, concern. Then you can go and at that, now in a business context, now you've got to be careful because you're getting in more sensitive layers. So shame, humi shame, embarrassment, humiliation, guilt, maybe you could go there. Sadness, again, in a business context, you want to be careful about that sadness and grief. And probably in a business context, in most settings, you would not go to abandonment, un unlovable or unloved. But those layers are there. And if you have to go there, and that's where the root is, that's where you would go. And basically, all you're going to do is spend the next 90 seconds reflecting the emotional experiences that this angry person is having until four things happen. Number one, they nod their head. Number two, they'll say something, yeah, exactly. That's right. Number three, they'll drop their shoulders. And number four, they'll exhale, sigh of relief. So, well, well, there, could be a, there could be a fifth, though. And that is, is uh, no, you don't have it right. Oh, that happens. Yeah, and and what happens when when that happens is they that tell you, you. you did have it right, but they're not ready to see it yet. So all you do is reflect another emotion. So I could say something like, "Stephen, man, you are really angry." No, I'm not angry, for <laughs> like that, yeah. right? Yeah. And I'll say, "Oh, you're really frustrated." Yeah, I'm really frustrated, and you're worried. Yeah, I'm, this is really making me nervous, <clears throat> and you feel completely disrespected. Yeah, and you feel unappreciated and unsupported, and nobody's listening to you. Yeah. And all your employees are dissing you? Yeah. And it really pisses you off. Yeah, exactly. You see how I cycled back around? Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the only other pushback you'll get is sometimes you'll get somebody who said, don't do that to me. Or who the heck do you are? Who the heck do you think you are? My psychotherapist? You'll get that pushback. All that means is you're, you, you, you were too good. 
because we build these these walls around all our, our emotional selves, our, who we think our true selves are, the little mini-me's that are these weak, we have this perception of being weak and, and uh, imposters and, you know, poor self-image, and we wall all that away. And when, when I start listening to your emotions and reflecting them back, I pierce that wall like a superhero, and it scares people if you're too intense about it. And so then they'll, they'll push back. And all that means is you stop and cycle back around 15 minutes later and do it again. Let me, let, yeah, this, this is a off the wall question. It's something that's been on my mind for four years and uh, well, whatever it is. But uh, does Zoom calls change how you can uh, interpret or uh, – how people's emotional competency uh, is. No, it's much easier. Why? Because people are less guarded on Zoom calls. Why? They're, they're sitting, usually sitting at home or home office or somewhere, and they are, not as, they are not as guarded as they would be in a group meeting. And when they're not talking, they, their emotional data fields are actually much easier to read once you know what to pay attention to. Likewise, uh, you can read emotions just from listening to a voice on a telephone call, or you can read it's even you can even do it in text messaging or emails. You can sense when people are having an emotional experience. It once you learn how to do it, once you learn how to tune into it, it's pretty darn obvious. I just read about a study today, for example. This is not regarding Zoom, but it just shows you how powerful our brains are at reading emotions. There was a study done to see whether or not wearing masks for COVID interfered with our ability to read emotions. And the answer was no. <laughs> Didn't interfere with our inability at all. Uh, we can still read people's emotions even wearing face masks. What and about, that's they're not even talking, just reading yeah. their body language. And, and what about a scenario where you have a Zoom meeting with uh, uh, 10 people? Well, there you have to, you know, then the question becomes, what do you need to do? I mean, you're not reading emotions all the time because you don't need to, but maybe somebody acts out or maybe you see somebody who's introverted and they're not participating and you look at them and they're, and they're checked out. Um, you know, it, when you're doing that sort of thing, if, especially if you're leading the meeting, you've got to become very skilled at, at engaging people. Um, and this is a skill I've had to learn as a professor teaching because over the last three years, all of my courses have been taught over Zoom. And so I've got these graduate students in front of me and I've got little boxes of faces. And one of the things I have had to learn to do is how to pay attention to them. And when they're, when are they checking out? I've learned a couple of things. Number one, don't talk, ever talk for more than 17 minutes without taking a break or doing something different. Um, and two, if you're, if you have to be on zoom, then make sure that you're doing breakout rooms, you're engaging people in different ways, you're giving them, maybe you're watching videos, you're doing stuff, you're constantly engaging their brains in different ways. You're just not talking. And that, and, and that, and then you're constant, uh, frequent, free, frequent breaks, 15 minute breaks frequently, like once every hour and 15 minutes, take a 15 minute break. Do not force people to sit on Zoom calls for more than an hour or so without. Yeah, I, had to, I have to ask, uh, how'd you come up with 17 minutes? Uh, it, it turns out that that's about the longest attention span that people have. Okay. There's a great book called um, Making It Stick by a bunch of Stanford professors that studied adult learning. 
And one of the things they learned was that a 17-minute lecture is about, and it is interesting, a TED Talk is about that long, um, is that's the maximum that people can be paying attention. So you're a business owner. I, I know I'm circling back to this. You're a business owner. You know you have an issue with emotional competency. You know your employees may have an issue with emotional competency. There's fights going on in your offices. It's a big problem. Uh, what's the first thing you should do? I, I don't, thing- I, and I, you told me just to clarify, you told me, you know, well, go ahead. To, to okay. go say what you could say. Remember Sorry. that if you've got, if you've got chaos in your business, it's on you because people are simply modeling their behavior on what they see in you. So the first step is to fix yourself, learn, learn the skills necessary to model the right behaviors. So people have somebody to follow. Understand that a leader's function, a leader provides three psychological functions to a group, safety, focus, and direction. And so you have to be constantly aware of what's the focus, what's the direction, am I creating psychological safety? If you're not doing those three things as a leader, then you're going to have a dysfunctional organization or a dysfunctional team automatically by definition. So those are the first things you fix. Then once you do that, then you, then you start looking at the people that report to you and you start just finding out, figuring out, all right, is there anybody here that's really toxic? In other words, they just, they're, just emotionally, they're just emotionally in a bad place. And so they're negative, they gossip, they criticize, they judge, they jump all over people, they're bullies, whatever it might be. And then you got to think about what do I need to do to coach them out of their toxicity into being more emotionally competent? And maybe you, maybe you send off to training or off to coaching or something. And, and, and there's a whole set of skills here that you start to develop. For example, most people don't know how to run a meeting. They have no clue how to run a good meeting. And, and so you want to learn basic skills like that. How do you run an effective meeting? Um, how do you make good decisions? You know, do you want, do people understand the four basic decision-making modes? Most people don't. And so they get all screwed up because they do some ad hoc decision-making that never works. So there's all these basic skills you learn on top of your basic emotional competency that allows you as a business owner to have a functional organization. And most people are never taught all these basic skills. And so they, they learn them from watching other people when they were younger, but those people didn't know what they were doing for the most part. <laughs> so it's like parenting. It's just passed on from generation to generation. Some people stumble onto good stuff and they're effective. But if you ask them what they're doing, they say, I don't know. I really don't know what I'm doing. And other, and other people are not effective because they just use the skills that they were shown. And when they were followers, their leaders had bad skills. And so they just picked up on the, on the bad skills and just passed it on. Yeah. I mean, I want to share with my listeners, like just a few of the things that I did. Um, I, I wish I had spoken to um, Doug before, you know, 25 years ago. I mean, I think he would have been a big help. You've been a huge help. I would have hired you. Um, but um, so, I mean, some of the things I did was uh, number one was I, not, not number one. Let's just say, I, I, I'm only saying number one because it was in order. I got involved in Buddhism, and I'm not suggesting that everybody does that, but I took up Buddhism because Buddhism does a really good job of helping you understand what you're feeling. And so I go, that's out, that's out in left field, but 
you know, it's, it's something that really, really helped me. I'm still, I'm a practicing Buddhist. So that helped. Okay. So another thing I did was, and this isn't in order. I actually went to see a psychologist because I felt so bad about how I was treating my employees. This is very, I was very young at the time. I was, uh, I was uh, 29 and, uh, and I just wasn't, I felt like I wasn't treating my employees very well. And what she helped me do is to recognize that when I get angry, I get stupid. Okay. So it, she really helped me recognize that I, and what I, what I did was once I started feeling I was getting angry, I would say these magic words. I would say is, give me a sec, give me some time to think about what you've said. And it, it gave me an opportunity. I'd step back. I didn't go, I didn't get all hot and angry. And then I couldn't think. And then I would say the wrong thing. So that was a huge uh, uh, leap. Then the other thing was I read, I read the book, Emotional Intelligence, although I know you're not, you know, uh, you know, a fan of it, but you know, and like anything else, if you think you have a problem with something, you spend some time thinking about it and reading about it, you, you, it becomes a part of you. So I did that. And then I hired a coach. I hired a business coach. And uh, not specifically for that reason, but, but she was a big help for me for several years in letting me have a soundboard because I didn't at the time had any partners. So I didn't have anybody I could talk to about this. And I, I really didn't want to bring it home to my wife. So that was helpful. And then I, then I focused on the managing part, which is how do I become a better manager and, uh, and a leader? And so I took, I took uh, courses from Dale Carnegie about how to be a good manager. That's old school. You know, I don't think they even it's have new it. school. Yeah, let me just stop you right there. If you uh, read, uh, read "How to Win Friends and Influence People," best book ever. The guy was a friggin' genius. Best book ever. Yeah, That's uh, right. the book. The book is great, but I don't think they. I don't even know if they have Dale Carnegie classes anymore. Well, yeah, they do. They actually have. There's a Dale Carnegie training thing, and they, they of course, they have all these people they train. But um, I don't know how effective the training is. But I mean, that book. Yeah, is, it was great. It was great because it, it got me more formalized in making sure I have uh, job descriptions and responsibilities and measurements and. And so what the last part I'll tell everybody, cause there's more, but is I got more formal in my informal, I mean, in my business processes, you know, how we hired people was really well thought out. You know, what we, you know, the process of interviewing, uh, it's interesting to say about you, you know, running meetings, boy, I, that's a good one because I think everybody, no matter how good you run a meeting, I think that's, that, that's a no brainer. Right. That's just something that's a takeaway today to say is, well, listen, forget emotional competency for a second. I think I'm how to run a meeting. Yeah. Running a meeting might do a lot. So anyway, that's a little, uh, that's well, enough. But So it's interesting that, I mean, as you went through that evolution, I was thinking about how good your evolution was. And it's interesting you started with a contemplative practice because that's where I started too. I started, I, I'm a secondary black belt. And then I started studying Tai Chi and became a Tai Chi master. I started meditating uh, when I was 18 and then got into a deeper spiritual practice later in life. And so I think the contemplative practice is really a beneficial as a foundational skill. I don't, we don't, I don't talk about it much because most business people don't want to talk about that kind no. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, but it is, but it is, you, you'd be surprised at how many effective leaders engage in some kind of contemplative practice um, because it is very powerful. And everything else you did 
is what I would tell people to do. Exactly the right path. And, you know, obviously it worked for you. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think the last thing that I've noticed over I'm 57 now, um, it's something you can't control, and that is age, and that is for <laughs> for men, right? For yeah. men, the testosterone you get it gets less, and you know it, it just maybe also you you hit yourself against the wall so many times you kind of say, ugh, it's not worth it. Just you know, um, that is really worth mentioning too. Because I have the same experience. I think what happened, what, all of a sudden, I mean, when I was a young lawyer uh, practicing as a trial lawyer, I'd look to my senior partners and think, man, these guys know everything. I don't know anything, right? And then I got to a, an age where I had mastery over, over being a trial lawyer and was very good at it. And I, then I started looking at older judges and older lawyers and saying, they're stupid. <laughs> mm. But then you hit 50 and something happened, a switch flipped inside. Of course, 50 is when I quit the practice of law to become a peacemaker. But all of a sudden I started observing that I was starting to accumulate wisdom that had not accumulated when I was younger. And I think a lot of it is what you mentioned, your testosterone levels go down. You're not so focused on sex anymore. <laughs> and now, all of a sudden, your brain starts to grow and mature in different ways. So there's a real advantage. I mean, there's some things about getting older that aren't so great, but the, 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 the big advantage is the wisdom that starts to develop you know, in midlife. And that's really powerful stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, it's, it's a good feeling. I, 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 I don't know. It, it, going, back I to be eight, going back to be 18 again with all the turmoil that was going <laughs> on in my life at the time. I, I don't know. You know so, I, don't, I don't think yeah, I'd go back. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> 26 maybe. But <laughs> yeah, see, 26. I was, in, I, yeah, I was in the middle of law school then. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I agree with you. And yeah. So part of, part of all of this process of maturity and becoming an adult has it's partly age it's also doing the kind of work that you're talking about to develop yourself as a business owner and, and people will say god how do you guys have the time to do that and i say well you make the time and you, you make choices so for example i haven't owned a television set in 45 years i don't own a television i don't watch television i don't go to the movies um i don't listen to the radio <laughs> you know i control i don't carry my phone around with me i control my environment i control who who contacts me I don't let other people dictate my life. And you have to make choices like that, especially in, in the kind of environment that we live in today. And I, and I don't know anybody who's successful who doesn't have a passion for learning. That's, they are. Oh, absolutely. Number one biggest thing. And, you know, I use this, I've used this word before on prior podcasts, but it's called autodidactic. Yes. And business uh, owners are self taught. That's right. And, and so, um, you know, you, crucial. You got to make the time, regardless of how you do it. And, you know, I always say this too, is be careful where you're spending. It's not learning everything at all costs. It's, you have to be strategic about picking the right things that you want to learn. It's not, you know, let's just, you know, a college professor has the opportunity or to learn whatever it is that they feel like going to town, right? But, you know, I think a business owner's time is a little more, you know, uh, needs to be more focused because you got a lot going on. Not that a business uh, professor does. Well, I, I completely agree with you. And I, I would emphasize the importance of curiosity. Yes. Being curious and yeah. being willing to engage 
in curiosity and to your point, having the Zen mind, the Zen, Zen beginner mind, be a beginner at something all the time. Yeah. Well, one, so, of, these day, one of these days, I'm going to, um, I, I have a plan to write a book on where the business ideas come from. And I think what you just said is it all starts with curiosity. That's right. Why, you know, why, how do they do that? Does it work good? Do I like how it works? Could it be done better? I, I, you know, those are really, really good questions uh, that we all serial entrepreneurs ask ourselves as we're going along. And then we pick our battle and then we execute like crazy. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Well, listen, uh, it's all good stuff, Doug. I, uh, I really appreciate you coming on today. It was a great podcast. I knew it was going to be. Um, I'd like to thank uh, so very much Doug Knoll um, for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Please also, if you like today's podcast or the, any of the other ones, it's all, as long as you're giving us a five-star review, please go on and give us a review um, because it really gets the word out. That's one of the algorithms that they use to uh, get our podcast out to other people. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. Again, that's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Doug, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Uh, my email address is Doug at dougnoel.com. I'm a sole practitioner. I don't have an entourage. I answer all my own emails. I created a webpage on my website for everybody who's listening to this show. And that at that uh, link is dougnoel.co, not.com, it's .co, slash entrepreneurial-mba. And it's MBA, not- MBA, let me, let me double check that. Um, yeah, I want to make sure I get the right... It is dougmole.co, entrepreneur-mba. And on that webpage, it gives you access into my website, but you can get a free ebook that talks about everything we've talked about today. You can d- get a copy of my book, Deescalate. And then I've got some online courses that you can sign up for if this stuff is in- of interest to you. And, his and, last course, name, and Doug's last name is spelled N-O-L-L. Right. So it's just so everybody has it right there. Yeah. Um, listen, my own personal opinion is um, – if you're struggling, if you're listening to this podcast and you're struggling with it, this would be time well spent really diving into this a little bit and getting better at the emotional competency. I think it would go a long way. And it uh, listen, I, if I think about the biggest accomplishments in my life, I think one of them is becoming a bit better business owner for my employees. I, I made some great strides and I'm proud of that. Um, so uh, if our listeners are interested also in getting any new business ideas, I tweet daily about lessons for business at S Halasnik. It's S H A L A S N I K. I want to thank everyone for listening. And just remember, you have to put the time into uh, getting better at, at what you do for a living uh, if you want to really succeed. Again, we talked about the importance of a passion for learning. Everybody, have a great day. It was really a great podcast today. I really enjoyed it. And we'll talk to you in the next Entrepreneur MBA podcast.